Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jason Roten. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Calvary, and we are so thankful that you have joined us today as we enter into week three of our GOAT series. Uh, Now, if you're wondering when are the live animals going to show up, they are just not quite going to make it. I'm I'm glad about that. If we had a random sheep come through, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. (laughs) You could like use the chair maybe to keep it away, but yeah. So um, we've been talking about uh, the greatest of all time, and Zach, you've talked a couple weeks about the greatest of all time basketball players, football mm-hmm. players. I think you could have this conversation about just about anything. True. Uh, and so my biggest passion is coffee, or one of them anyway. And so I thought we should talk about the greatest coffee you've ever had of wow. all time. So if you're online, uh, feel free to text in there and message us about the greatest cup of coffee you've ever had. But Zach, I brought us some good coffee. That's awesome. I'm, I'm not much of a coffee aficionado. You know, I did grow up with mainly Folgers Instant in the house, so I'm pretty easy to please. But I know you know a whole lot more about coffee than I do. I mean, this whole setup is pretty amazing. Yeah, this is pretty awesome. So I'd, this might not be the greatest cup you've ever had, but I do promise you it will be better than Folgers. It's good. Uh, so yeah, so Probably when I was working in St. Louis, one of my favorite cups of coffee we ever had, we got an Ethiopian coffee in and it was uh, sun-dried. So it tasted just like dark chocolate covered raspberries. It was absolutely amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So, but this isn't really, I mean, we're not here to talk about coffee or sports (laughs) figures. Uh, Really talking about Jesus as the greatest of all time. Two weeks ago, you talked about Jesus being the greatest teacher of all Mm -hmm. time. Last week, the greatest friend of all time. And today, we're going to talk about Jesus as the greatest example of all time. Which leads me to think back to my childhood. Like, Mm -hmm. and maybe you a little bit yours, but who were some of your favorite examples growing up? Maybe sports figure or actor or... yeah. I was also going to say, I think this is the greatest setup of all time. Like maybe we should just preach like this always. If you could just brew coffee and we could sit here and it'd be be awesome. Yeah, leather chairs. But but yeah, I was thinking back to when I was a a kid, um, you know, I think I was at an early age pretty fixated on sports figures. So growing up in Minnesota, I was all about every single Minnesota sports team. And so the two examples that I looked up to probably age eight or nine would be uh, Kirby Puckett, You know, I loved the twins and I loved how he was always seemed to be smiling. He seemed like, you know, a magnetic personality, a person that would be fun to hang out with. But then he would just get up and crush home runs. He like always got the hit at the right time. And so definitely look to Kirby Puckett as a role model or as an example. And then for the Vikings, I was a big John Randall fan. And, you know, he would play hard. He'd be, you know, just this tough guy feared by the opponent. But again, seemed like a guy that would be fun to meet. So how about you? Who are some of your examples? Yeah, so you actually wanted to like smile at people but intimidate them? I think this sounds like a good combo. All right, there you go. I, I saw some of that at Farrell's, I think, over the last couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, I think like a lot of people in our age bracket, I grew up idolizing Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell you how many times on the little concrete pad behind my house, I would back my little brother down <laughs> and turn around and shoot a fadeaway jump shot. And, the tongue uh, hanging out? Of course the tongue was out. You can't be Michael Jordan without the tongue, right? So, yeah. Uh, and then the other one, as I grew up, I watched the movie Top Gun, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to be Maverick. Not Tom Cruise, but the character Maverick. You know, he was always kind of breaking the rules. He was fa- flying the plane. He sang karaoke. Yeah, he, he made... sang karaoke. I'm not quite going to go that far, but maybe <laughs> if I could have a motorcycle. So, But, uh, you know, if you're going to bring it home a little bit more, were there people who you knew, uh, maybe personally who you looked up to? 
Yeah, so I think I probably transitioned out of the, you know, kind of the dream of being a professional athlete pretty young, like realized that that wasn't going to be where I was going with life. But we had some people in our family that were very successful, you know, that ran, you know, big businesses and lived, you know, lived a great life. And, you know, I started to think probably as a teenager, if I could grow up and I could have a German uh, luxury car, I could eat at the best restaurants, if I could be seen as important in whatever field I went into, you know, that would somehow be the essence of what life is about. How about you? Yeah, I never knew a Toyota Corolla was a German sports <laughs> well, car. you know, I've got a room to grow, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, much like you, I looked at those family members who had been successful in life. Um, I think about my uncle. We would spend, he had a cabin on a lake. So cabin culture is not just a Minnesota thing. It's also a West Virginia thing. Okay. And we'd go up to his cabin and four-wheel or ski or ride his jet ski and I just remember thinking, you know, if when I grow up, I have a house in town and a house on the lake and all these toys, I, I've done pretty well for myself. I want to be like my uncle. So, and you know, I'm, I'm working. I'm trying to be like you. I got my iPad today <laughs> exactly. upgraded a little bit. So. I feel honored by that. <laughs> but I think, you know, it sounds like both of us, you know, I think are pretty, pretty um, much the same as a lot of our society looking at what success looks like, looking at what greatness looks like. But I think the interesting thing is when we look back at scripture, you know, 2000 years ago, the disciples basically had the same outlook. I mean, they looked at things much the same I mean, probably not jet skis. And, yeah. But they also were looking for status. They were looking for power. In fact, it's something that I think is just kind of comical that they debate again and again as they follow Jesus. It's like, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to get the best seat? Who gets the most notoriety? Who gets the most status? And Jesus had to continually try to reframe the way they look at things. And so what I want to do today um, is to look at John chapter 13. And so those of you at home, please grab Grab your Bible, do the YouVersion app on your phone or your tablet. Or if you're watching on our uh, church online platform, there's a spot you can click over by the chat room that says Bible, and you can just look it up right there. But we're going to look at John 13, and what we're doing is we're leading up to Holy Week. You know, next week, as we talked about just a minute ago, is Palm Sunday, and that's going to usher in Holy Week, and it's going to lead to Good Friday and then to Easter. And so this kind of all starts to come to fulfillment and Jesus has this powerful lesson. He shows a powerful example to his disciples who are always having this debate about what does greatness look like? What does success look like? So let's look at John 13, starting with verse one. And it says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, Jason, I don't know about you, but I've, I've heard this text so many times, and I kind of have a picture in my head about what it's about. And, you know, I mean, it, it's impressive. You know, it's, it's a vivid image. But I think sometimes we miss some of the power there. When I've read some commentaries and heard some teachers on this, there's kind of an interesting perspective, I think, for us to look at. 
Like, first of all, we need to notice that this is the Passover. It's the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. It's this all-important meal where they come together to celebrate and to remember how God is faithful, how God is merciful, how he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And then he tells the people, don't ever forget this and share it with your children every single year. So every one of the disciples has been a part of a Passover meal their entire life. And they have kind of a a way that it goes. Like, I don't know if you have some holidays where there's certain things you just kind of check off the list. But for the Passover, they pretty much knew how the script went. Part of this is any good gathering meant you had to have someone there, a servant there, to wash everybody's feet. And the reason was they would walk everywhere. All right, they walk down dirty, dusty, rocky roads. It's like 95 degrees. They're sweaty and they're wearing flimsy sandals. Like there's no Chacos or Tevas or Birkenstocks. They're wearing like the flimsiest sandals. And so you can imagine when they show up at a gathering, it's really important for them to wash their feet. So somebody would be there, a servant would be there to wash feet. But here's something I found even more interesting. And that is, if you've ever seen like a painting of Roman people or Greek people from, you know, centuries upon centuries ago, a lot of times they're pictured as kind of reclining by the table. The thing is, the disciples in Jesus, when they had the Passover, they would have been reclining at a table. It meant the table was about 18 inches tall. They'd have maybe a pillow if they were lucky, and they would prop themselves up and they would be laying on their side, and then they would eat. Is that how you eat at your house? I have never tried it before because I think it would be a disaster. But <laughs> if you think about it, what does that mean for people's feet? It means their feet are either dangerously close to everybody else's food, or they're dangerously close to other people's faces. I'm pretty sure if that was the way we had to eat in my house, I'd have to eat in a separate room because Corey wouldn't let me that close <laughs> to the table. I can identify with that. <laughs> that so... This is a vital thing that had to be provided. Somebody had to be there to wash feet. But now think about what that means in what we learn from this story. The disciples would have showed up, probably staggered as they came from wherever they were living or whatever they had to do that day. They came in the door of this upper room that was prepared for them by Peter and John. Jesus had given them a job, said, you know, get this set up, make sure we have Passover together. They come in the door, They look around, they survey the scene, and they realize there is no servant there ready to wash their feet. All right, so it's a big thing. Like Peter and John, you had one job to do and you completely failed. And so now they have to decide and think about the thought process. One possibility was they'd wash their own feet. Well, that would be nice at least. I mean, at least wash your own. Yeah, I mean, it seems basic, but... Again, it's such a humbling task. It was always done by a servant. In fact, it was so humbling that Jewish servants weren't even asked to do it. Only Gentile servants would wash people's feet. So they had to decide, am I going to wash my own? The next thing they would think about is, perhaps I should wash everybody else's feet. But quickly, again, because it was so humbling, they put that out of their mind. And so then the next thing to think about was, well, maybe I should just go try to get the best spot I can get at the table. You know, you wanted to be as close to Jesus as possible. So that's the thought process going through their head. They're like, I'm important. You know, I follow the greatest teacher, the greatest rabbi. I'm his disciple. I am not going to stoop so low as to wash my feet or anybody else's feet. 
But imagine Jesus' perspective. Again, these guys had followed him for three years, and yet they don't even, for a moment, consider that they should go and serve each other. Again, they're more caught up with this ongoing debate of who's going to be the greatest, who's going to have the best seat. Every one of them has an opportunity to be a servant, but they decline, except one person, and that's Jesus. So there's this stark contrast. The disciples are all focused on status and power, and Jesus is focused again and again on serving and caring and loving. Now, Jesus slowly gets up from the table, And again, there's like a script to this. So everybody's wondering, where in the world is Jesus going? This isn't how it's supposed to go. And he goes over by the door. There's a basin of water. It says he takes off his outer garment and he puts on a towel. Now everybody is perking up. What in the world is Jesus going to do? And he comes back and he takes one of the disciples' feet and he starts to wash. And it suddenly dawns on the rest of them what's happening. Now, this is a powerful thing because Jesus is turning the social order of the world upside down. Disciples were always supposed to serve their teacher, not vice versa. This would never happen. There was a famous rabbi at the same time as Jesus named Judah, and he was known as the most humble rabbi around. They said he would do anything to serve someone else. He would go above and beyond except one thing, he would never, ever give up his superior position. It was just unheard of. But Jesus is making a statement without any words that echoes throughout history. His kingdom is founded on serving, not on power and prestige. Now, that's hard for the disciples to understand, But if we're honest, I think it's hard for us to understand today. I think we like to look at the disciples and be like, how did you guys not get this? (laughs) But then so often we have to look in our own lives and realize we don't get it either. We mess it up all the time. Exactly. And so in this very moment, in this scene, but then a few days later on the cross, Jesus becomes the greatest example of all time. But not only that, I want to just draw your attention to two of the last verses of this passage. It's verses 14 and 15. And here's what Jesus finally has to say. It's directly to his disciples, but it's also directly to each one of us today. He says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. So do as I have done to you. I mean, there's not much wiggle room there. He says this, what he just did, is our example. This is what we're supposed to model. To be like him means to love and serve others sacrificially. He's our example. We're supposed to be like him. But Jason, what I always think about when I read this passage and when I hear these words, when he says, go do this, what in the world does washing feet look like in our modern culture? Like, I think most people would be completely creeped out if we tried to take off their shoes and start to wash their feet. Yeah, my feet are super ticklish. So if you try and wash my feet, you might get kicked or we're probably going to spill water at least. So. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's a great question, and I think it is one we have to ask, but I think it actually starts with understanding who we are. So if you jump back to verse 3 of chapter 13, 
Jesus is speaking, and it, or the author is writing, and he says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. Mm-hmm. You see, Zach, I think Jesus takes this humble place as a servant to show us his upside-down kingdom because he knew who he was, what his purpose is, and where he belongs. Now, wait a second. I think I've heard you use these exact terms a few times. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. Some of you are probably tired of hearing this, but I think it's so critical. And I think even in this time of the coronavirus and the pandemic that we're in the middle of, Mm -hmm. like these are even more essential now because as I talk to people, people who used to be businessmen or businesswomen are now like stay-at-home moms and dads who are homeschooling their kids Mm -hmm. and their whole identity has been shattered or shifted or had the bottom come out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then what's my purpose? What's my purpose when my goal every day is to get up, get dressed, and maybe take a walk around the neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Like, what am I really doing with my life? And it's great to spend time with family, but let's face it, we're all in each other's space right now too. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And then, you know, we've seen this with the gym we were a part of. Where do we belong? Like our community is gone. We can't be in that physical presence, whether that's a gym or work or church. It's all kind of shattered and pulled out from underneath us. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to see just like on Facebook, people really distraught over the fact that they can't connect with others. Like I think for a lot of people, they never realized how valuable their community was, how it's so important to belong. Like you talk about a lot, but I mean, right now it's really just kind of throwing people off because you can't connect in the ways we used to and we can't have community and we take it for granted, I think. Yeah, and I think as Jesus, wrestles with these things, we see he knew who he was. Mm -hmm. He'd come from the Father. He had authority over everything. Mm -hmm. Jesus' act of service is not a challenge to who he is or to what he's done. It's simply an act given to his disciples. And then it's about uh, his purpose. Jesus has known his purpose all along. Mm -hmm. His purpose is to go to the cross, to give up his life for our sake for, to show us love. And the disciples have missed this. You know, it's kind of funny. Every time they start arguing about who's going to be the greatest, Jesus says, you know, I'm going to die, right? And they're like, no, but we're going to be the greatest. And he's like, you know, I'm going to die, right? Like this always kind of comes back and they just don't quite get it. But then it says, and Jesus had come from the father and would return Mm. to God. Yeah. He'd found his community in the presence of his, of his heavenly father. Mm-hmm. I think as we think about what it looks like to serve sacrificially our neighbors and to follow that example, we have to realize who we are. We have to realize that we are sons and daughters of a God who created and knit us together and who holds the universe in the palm of his hands. Mm-hmm. We are called to tell others about him. And we find our belonging here together as a, com- as a church community, but also in God's presence mm-hmm. and in our time with him. And so knowing those things, it's not quite so scary mm-hmm. to humble myself, to allow myself to share, to serve. And all of this starts with understanding that we serve because Jesus first served us. Yeah. I mean, he came, he died, he came with that purpose. God said, I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to find your belonging in me so much that I'm going to leave the comforts of heaven, come down, walk on earth, go to the cross, die and rise again so that you could be with me. Yeah. 
And that's the heart of the gospel. And if you're listening online today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus or you've never accepted that service and love that he has for you, we would love to talk with you either in the chat or in the prayer chat about that, either during our service or afterwards today. Mm -hmm. And we just pray that each and every person turning in knows how much Jesus loves them. Mm -hmm. But then it's that love that drives us to serve. That's good. Well, I'm sorry, Zach, I kind of went off there. What's the, what's the question I'm supposed to be answering? <laughs> I mean, that was good. Just preach, preach. Uh, what I was kind of getting at too is just, so how do we wash people's feet today? You know, oh, yeah, what, what does that look like in our modern culture? Yeah, I think at its core, it's got this idea of humility and service. But even more than that, it's about turning that social order upside down. Like mm-hmm. you said, Jesus is the upside down kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so I think we read this and we go, oh, you know what? I know what I can do today. I will go out and I will pull my neighbor's weeds. It's supposed to be like 60 and sunny tomorrow. So (laughs) tomorrow I'll go out and I'll weed my neighbor's flower bed. And we do that and we kind of pat ourselves on the back and we go, I served. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And I want to encourage you if that's what you feel led to do, to go do that. But I think Jesus' challenge here is even greater than that. Mm -hmm. Um, it turns the social order upside down. It puts somebody above myself. Mm-hmm. It causes me to give up the right and power that I have for the benefit of another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not super great at this, but I think one story I have that I can think about was I was asked to be uh, the manager of a mom and pop coffee shop in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And when they hired me, they hired me as the GM of their biggest retail shop at the mm-hmm. time. And uh, I walked in on the first day and nobody would talk to me. I mean, like, and that's hard for me. You know me, I can talk to a wall. I don't really care. But they would like leave the room or all conversation would stop in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Finally, about two thirds of the way through the shift, one of the uh, shift supervisors walked up to me and said, how'd you get this job anyway? She's probably wondering why since I brewed my first cup of pot of coffee on the floor. <laughs> it was super confidence building. But she's like, you know, there are a lot of people inside this company who have worked long and hard to get where you are. What right do you have? And I remember thinking, and in a place of uh, Holy Spirit guidance, I think, I I just said, you know, I think I got it because I wash bathrooms better than anybody else. (laughs) And she was kind of taken back like, what? And I said, I honestly think I clean bathrooms better than anybody else. What I was saying in that was, I don't want to be the boss who just comes in and tells you what you have to do, who orders you around and doesn't do the hard stuff. I want to be a boss who comes in and serves you who puts your needs above mine. And so I'm sure I didn't do it every day, but I know my goal was every day before I left was to go in and deep clean the bathrooms wow. before I left for, work, left for home. It's a powerful witness to those working around you. Uh, it makes me think of when I was at my first church, which was in uh, Afton area, um, just on the south side of 94 before the Hudson Bridge. Uh, my senior pastor there was heavily influenced by a guy named Steve Shogren, who is the pastor at Cincinnati Vineyard Church. And he developed something called servant evangelism. And it was the idea that, you know, back in the day, maybe people went door to door and did some evangelism that way or passed out tracks. But in our world today, we really need to earn the right to be heard and we need to model serving for people. And the idea is if we go serve and do radical acts of kindness and serving for people, then perhaps they're more likely to hear the good news of the gospel. And so what he would do is almost every single Saturday, he would come to the church, he'd grab a bucket full of cleaning supplies, and then he would go to all of the gas stations and convenience stores right on 94 before the Wisconsin border. 
And he would go in and he'd go up to the counter and he'd tell the person working, usually, you know, a teenager or a young adult, and he'd say, I'm here to clean your bathrooms. And they'd be like, what? And he'd say, no, I'm here to clean your bathrooms. And they're like, no, you know, we, we get paid for that. He'd say, I'm not going to charge you anything. I'm just here to clean your bathrooms. He'd go back and he would completely clean all the restrooms and they'd be spick and span and, you know, just clean. And you can imagine all the traffic on the highway and the interstate getting off at these places. And so it wasn't an easy job. And after he was done, he'd go back up to the counter, counter and they would always say, why in the world did you do that? And his response was always, because I wanted to show you in a tangible way how much Jesus loves you. And you can imagine how much of an impact that had because of what he was willing to do for them, that, this incredible act of serving and then pointing them to the gospel. Yeah, and I think that's what makes our serving so unique we're not serving just because it's the goodness of our heart or because we want to be kind to our neighbor. We're serving because we've been served, mm -hmm. because we've been loved by God, and we want to share that love with each other and with those around us. And that's what motivates us. That's what sets the church apart from everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so maybe a couple of other ideas I just throw out for you to think about and consider. And please, we want you to wrestle with this as a family. What's it look like for you to serve at a level of washing your neighbor's feet. Mm -hmm. But maybe what that means for you is you need to stay home. Now, I am probably the most <laughs> hypocritical person to say this. Like, it is hard for me to stay home. I'm an extrovert. It's, it's almost as hard to sit in a chair and preach a sermon as it is <laughs> to stay home. Um, but, you know, just because I'm healthy or just because you're young or you're healthy or you're not immune compromised— is not a reason for us to endanger our neighbor or those around mm -hmm. us. It's a chance for us to say, I'm gonna give up my right, my right to do the things I wanna do, to go where I wanna go, because I love you and I wanna keep you safe and I value your life. Mm -hmm. Maybe it looks like those of us with a little extra money or food or time or toilet paper, <laughs> uh, giving to those who don't have as much. And not just like the little extra, but what if we really gave sacrificially? What if tonight for dinner, we had cereal so that we could grill steak and roast sweet potatoes and asparagus and take that to our neighbor for dinner? Mm -hmm. What if we sacrificed our rights, what we have, so we could give to those around us? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're an introvert. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been living for social distancing, I, I, I've right? been training for this moment my entire life. Yep. So Zach likes the three-foot circle all the time. He got it to six. It's great. But maybe you don't know who your neighbors are. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't know the people who live diagonal or across the street from you. And for you to really sacrifice is to step outside of your house, to walk over, to knock on the door, to talk to them through the door and just be like, hey, are you doing Okay. I haven't seen any movement around. I just wanted to make sure you're all right. Do you need anything? Maybe it's, I'm getting ready to go to the grocery store. Can I pick you up something while I'm there? How are we going to serve and take care of our neighbor in these times? No matter what you do though, I think foot washing begins with believing that Jesus sacrificially loved you. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to trusting that our identity is in him. My identity is not in what other people think or what other people feel about me. My identity 
is in Jesus. And I found my belonging with Jesus and in his church and in this community. And so I feel secure to go out and live out my purpose Mm -hmm. by sacrificially loving my neighbor, Mm -hmm. by willingly giving up my rights and my power for their benefit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's at the core of what it looks like to wash people's feet. Mm -hmm. But lastly, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, this starts at home. Your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, they're watching you. And I think passages like this and times where we get to slow down like this, give us a chance to really ask the hard questions. Mm -hmm. Does what I say I believe actually match my actions? It's convicting. It's super convicting. And, you know, our kids are always on (laughs) us, right? I don't know what yours are like, but sometimes I feel like mine are just waiting for me to mess up. (laughs) So one day we were out in a car and we were driving and I was at a stoplight and somebody came up to the window and asked for money. And I didn't roll down the window. I, just, I didn't look. And I've always said, I'm not going to give money to someone who's begging, but I'd always buy them dinner. Mm-hmm. And as the light turned green and we drove off, Josiah, my oldest, looked at me and said, hey, dad, you know, you always say you're going to buy him dinner, but I've never actually seen you buy anyone dinner. Not that hits you right between the eyes. What is the example we're setting? How are we living so that the next generation grows up to be humble, to be looking to serve, to sacrificially serve like Jesus? Are we setting the example for them? Jesus sets a high bar and he calls us to follow it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what it means to be the church. And we get to be the church differently than we've maybe ever been the church in my lifetime or your lifetime. The church isn't about coming to this place. It, it honestly never really was. But it's about the church in the New Testament. And that's what church looks like more maybe now than ever as we are the church in our living rooms and in our homes and in our communities. Mm-hmm. And how well are we loving our neighbors? Are we sacrificially serving them? This is our chance to show our neighbors who don't believe in Jesus, this is what Jesus is all about and this is what the church really is. Mm-hmm. Are you with us? Can we be the church for those who need to know the love of God? Mm. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for hard passages. We thank you that Jesus set such a high standard and high example for us to follow. God, we're sorry and we ask your forgiveness and we are thankful for your grace for all the times that we have not been like the disciples or that we've been like the disciples. We've looked for our own power, our own prestige. We've looked for our own gain. We haven't given sacrificially. We haven't let you be glorified in all that we do. God, we're sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace in our lives. But God, today, we pray that you would give us faith to think and to step out in courage to love our neighbor, to really trust you that you will provide for us as we provide for those around us. And God, I pray for each person watching today that you would help them think of ways and then give them the courage to act on those ways to serve those around them, to show your love 
Thank you for Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection that gives us life, gives us hope in this time and helps us feel that love. Now, God, let us share that love with those around us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we get ready to sing a couple more worship songs and close our service, we do want to point you to the notes section down below the video screen there. There are some discussion questions for you to talk about with your family after the service ends. We hope those provide fruitful discussion for you. And we'd love to see how you serve your neighbor. You can uh, tag us at hashtag CalvaryGV on Facebook or Instagram to show us how you're serving. And for those of you who are alone this morning, our hosts are gonna stay in the chat room and would love to facilitate the conversation with you about those questions that are online. So thank you for joining us. Let's sing to the God who loves us and gives us hope.